morning. Welcome to Rabbi on the Sidelines. I'm Rabbi Erez Sherman from Sinai Temple here live in Los Angeles. It's our second week with our new podcast, the Rabbi on the Sideline, Intersection of Faith and Sports, where we get to talk to people who have been involved with the sports world for many years and speak about the inspiring stories that we never see on TV or hear on the radio or in the books. This morning, we are very fortunate to hear going to the frozen tundra of central New York to hear from all Big East player 2005 to 2009, Eric Devendorf, who uh, had a long professional career in Europe and around the world. Now is back in central New York, um, a community activist, especially during this time of COVID, trying to make sure that small businesses are um, surviving during these difficult times. Eric, it's good to see you. Thanks for uh, coming on the show this morning. Hey, I appreciate you having me, man. It's my pleasure. Nice. So uh, I had the opportunity actually not to meet you physically in person, but watch you physically in person for many years growing up in Syracuse. Um, And actually before the pandemic, we were going to go on a little journey together doing some clinics and get you out here to L.A. Uh, One day when everything's a little safer, hopefully we'll do that. Um, but it's just good to have you and hear what you're up to. So uh, we're going to hear your journey, a little bit about basketball, a little bit about faith. Definitely talk about that 6 OT game. That uh, uh, I'm going to tell you a personal story about that a little later. Um, but let's start with your journey as a youth um, basketball. What did it mean to you? How did you get into that? Was it your first sport? What did that look like as a kid growing up in Michigan? Well, I mean, I was super active growing up. I was involved in a lot of different sports. Um, I can remember as early as seven years old, running track, uh, doing flag football, baseball. Um, So I really did everything. And my dad really got me to focus on basketball more. And probably around nine years old, that's really when I started to, uh, you know, take it serious. I remember playing AAU when I was in the fourth grade uh, with the eighth grade team. So, um, you know, from a young age, I was playing up. And and I think really after that, I stopped playing every every other sport like uh, seriously, maybe for fun, or, but basketball was was my number one thing. And um, so I fell in love with the early, at an early age with it, thanks to my dad. And, um, you know, every single day I remember chipping ice, uh, you know, because the weather in Michigan, it, I'm used to it now. You know, I'm, I'm in Syracuse. I've, I was born in Michigan. It's the same thing. So uh, waking up in the California. morning. What does chipping ice mean to a California kid who can walk outside today 80 degrees and play basketball? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's something they don't have to deal with. But I remember growing up, that that's something I had to deal with. You know, we had all four seasons. We had, a, you know, tough winters and, and rain. So I remember getting up, chipping ice before school, you know, then going to practice and then staying after school and playing. So that was that was the love of my life at that time early, you know, and um, it stuck with me. And, and I'm glad I just, uh, you know, found that passion early on, thanks to my dad. You know, in the Jewish religion, there's bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs when boys and girls turn 13. I don't know, have you ever been to a bar mitzvah before? I have, but but you know what? I heard, I heard I'm, I'm missing out. I've heard. Yeah. So I'll tell you, I bring that up because, you know, every 13-year-old that comes to my office and I say, you know, what do you like to do? They like, they like to play basketball, right? And what do you want to do? I want to be a professional basketball player. And at 13 years old, you know, they, they had a lot of different commitments. But as a 13-year-old for you, what did that mean? When did you know that you had something a little more than to get past the, you know, uh, the community basketball playground? When did you realize that this can be something that you can make a living out of and you can make a difference in the world? Well, it, it was funny because I knew early on that I was pretty good. You know, I was 
I remember playing just in school or after school at, at recess and always winning, you know, always being the best one. And, and I was always the, the only one with, you know, carrying the ball to school from school, you know, in between class. Um, and I was obsessed with it. I, I remember even times, you know, we'd have our assignments and I'd write like basketball and NBA on it, just, you know, on top of the paper. I don't know. It was, it was just an obsession. And, and I think if you really want to be good at something, that's what it has to be. You know, you have to love it. You have to, you know, be obsessed with it, so to speak, and um, and be consistent with it. That's and that's with anything in life, right? That's uh, if you want to be good at it. So um, I was fortunate, man. Like early on, it's like nowadays, it's so many distractions. I, I mean, I'm glad that I I grew up to where it was, you know, maybe just Nintendo or something that we we had to worry yeah. about. Now it's only two buttons, A and B. None of this like five. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, but now you have social media. I mean, it's so many. Um, you know, not trying to make an excuse, but it's so many other, you know, distractions and temptations for these kids nowadays. It's it's hard to focus on that one thing. So um, I was fortunate enough to to grow up where I could really find it early on and and lock in. And um, that's what really propelled me early was was I didn't look at it like, oh, I got to go play basketball. I loved it. I wanted to do that, you know, every single day. I remember eight hours, um, you know, on the weekend all day at the Y. We'd, we'd go and get some fries across the street from rallies and then and then come right back and, and start playing um you know five on five again so from an early age man i fell in love with it i was obsessed and um you know i knew that i could be good at the at this and you talked about always winning right and like never wanting to lose but you know that we do lose we do come up for disappointments what happens when you lose instead of walking away like many kids do these days right what makes you say, you know what, next time I'm going to do better. Next time I'm going to try even even harder. What does that look like at that age? And how did that propel you also in your career? Well, I'm still learning. You know, I'm still learning about that because I don't like to lose. You know, now it's kind of transitioned into the into the business side of things. But, um, you know, I think early on, it, I was just so competitive. Like I'd cry, I'd get mad, I'd get upset if we lost the game. That's how that's how passionate I was about, you know, about basketball. Um, and it, as I kept going through uh, my career, um, the biggest thing about losing is in adversity in general is you have to face it because you have to learn from it. And it, it, it is it's stepping stones on your journey um, to where, whatever your goals are. It's never going to be like this straight. It's always going to be it's going to be some bumps and some curves and some dips and uh, it's going to be some adversity. And the biggest thing is don't let it don't dwell on it, but learn from it you know, really learn from it. Now, what, what can I do now, you know, that I didn't do before that'll help me get to that next step. And, and we need those. If we didn't, if everything was perfect, what are we learning from that? What are, you know, it, it would just be what it is, you know, it, it wouldn't be any excitement or, or ups or downs. And I think we need that. And, and kids nowadays, it's tough because it's, it's like this, they want instant gratification. Um, mm -hmm. you know, once they hit a wall or, um, you know, hit some adversity, it's kind of like they shell up and, and go into a hole and, and just want to quit. Um, I think I might, take, say I might take the weekend. I might take the weekend off because that's a good sermon right there. And I'll just uh, have you come to our, our synagogue and give that sermon about adversity. Yeah. But think, <laughs> I think about off the basketball court, was there any adversity that you dealt with as a child that basketball court was a more of an escape and also a uh, place to recover from that adversity? Well, I mean, that's all I did, man. I, I remember kids teasing me, like you'd carry your basketball and 
uh, hey, you're you're a weirdo, or just calling you names because they didn't do that. They wanted to do, they were doing other things, but like when they wanted to go to like a school dance or or something like that, I was shooting outside, you know, or I was in the gym. So they they just thought that was weird. But, uh, to be honest, as I get older, older, and having success on the basketball court, it kind of shut them up a little bit. You know what I mean? It kind of they're like, oh well. I, I, now I get I get why he's in the gym because this is these are the results, you know. So I never really had a lot of stress off the court. I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a great family, a great environment. My mom and dad, um, and they supported everything that I did. Like when I needed to go somewhere for basketball out of town, my dad was taking care of me. My mom was taking care of my sister. So I was fortunate to have support, um, you know, with with basketball. What did that look like on the journey to Syracuse? You see Carmelo Anthony winning that championship 2003. You're in Michigan, and a lot of stories about, you know, go to Michigan, Michigan State. Um, you come play for Jim Beheim. Uh, what are those expectations like? And also, I know, you know, often it's hard to meet those expectations from a Hall of Fame coach like that. What was that like as basically 18, 19-year-old coming to upstate New York, 35,000 people in the dome? Give us that experience as an 18-year-old. And then... What is that transformation like when you grow into yourself as a college player, as honestly somebody that kids in Syracuse, New York, around the country on ESPN are looking up to you as a role model? Maybe take us through some moments of that transformation during college. Yeah, well, a funny story. Um, I was committed to Michigan State, like you said. I was at a Michigan State while they were playing Syracuse, the 2003 National Championship season. And I remember watching Mac and Hakeem and, uh, and Mello and those guys, and, and at the time I was committed to Michigan State, but I told my AU coach at the time, you know what, I think I might want to reconsider and, and take a look at Syracuse. I mean, I like how these guys play. They get up and down. They kind of um, fit my style of play. So I remember that next week my coach, he called Syracuse, and they were at practice, my AU practice, the next week, Coach Beheim and, and Coach Weaver, who was the assistant coach at the time, now with the uh, general manager with the Detroit Pistons, um, and they, they came and watched and, and they offered me a scholarship right after, you know, right after that. And um, I remember I decommitted from Michigan State and um, I accepted the scholarship to Syracuse. And, um, you know, I was I was orange since then. But it was just that style of play that fit me. Um, I loved I love how Coach Beheim coached, um, you know, no disrespect to Michigan State it was an unbelievable program. But um, Syracuse was my fit. And. As far as the transformation, um, you know, I was kind of prepared early because I went to Oak Hill, which is for my senior year, which is, uh, um, you know, considered widely as probably the greatest high school basketball school in, in the history of in the United States. You know, it's Coach Smith, a Hall of Fame coach, and, and Mello went there, and then Billy Eadlin and uh, Deshaun Wright. So we had some Syracuse ties, and that really um, that really prepped me for my my uh, trend transition into Syracuse you know I was already playing with Kevin Durant Taiwan Lawson so I mean those guys he was you know college player of the year and obviously top two draft pick KD one of the best ever play so um, it was more smooth for me going into Syracuse and then I had GMAC going into Syracuse my first year so it was me and him in the backcourt and um, to have one of the best players in college basketball on your side just gives me more confidence you don't really need to give me any more confidence because I as a young fella I was I had it already, you know. I wasn't, I wasn't scared. I wasn't fearful. I was, I was brash and, and uh, emotional and compassionate out there playing. So, 
um, it just gave me even more with GMAC. And, um, man, I had a unbelievable, you know, three years playing and four years at Syracuse. And, um, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything because, like we talked about, adversity. I had some ups and downs at Syracuse for sure, but it made me and, and took me to where I am now. And, um, you know, I'm grateful and fortunate for the people that I've met along the way and, and uh, you know, obviously still, um, you know, tied to Syracuse, uh, you know, forever. Let's talk about that emotional aspect because you would definitely get emotional on the court and uh, get to know you over this last couple months. You're a different person off the court. You're like uh, this calm, mellow type of person, but you get on that court, even watching the last couple of years on TBT, on the, uh, yeah. on the tournament. <laughs> um, like, how do you turn that on and turn that off? And you're the same person. You put that same passion into what you do on that court, into what you're doing right now, for instance, and trying to create small businesses during the pandemic. Yeah, so on the court, um, obviously when I was young, I needed to learn how to channel it a little bit more and, and kind of maybe control it uh, a little bit more. And obviously it's people have seen that. Um, but as I got older, you know, I still love it. I still have compassion. That's me. Like that's what kind of gave me my edge when I was when I was playing out there. When I was growing up, I, I was always playing with older guys and they were always talking trash to me, you know, and they were in. And so it was kind of built inside of me. And it was like. It, it wasn't anything personal. It was like, all right, like this is a part of the game. This is this is how it goes, you know. So um, for me, when we started doing that in college and, and pro and all that, it was just kind of I was used to it and I loved it. It, it kind of revved my engine up, so to speak. It, it got me going. And um, but off the court, like you said, a whole different person, man. I know, you know, my mother and father raised me to to be respectful and kind and compassionate and they know. Uh, what type of person I am on the court and and believe it or not my mom loves it like she loves seeing like she loves seeing me play and um, that energy that I bring on the court it's it's something that she always tell me like she loves it like it's it's something she didn't get to she's in Michigan so she didn't get to see every single game and uh, but when she did in person it was you know one of her favorite things to do so um, we all yeah. we all love you too in central New York and actually I didn't miss I was at every Big East tournament from 2000 to 2009 so I Saw that passion come on the court at the garden as well. We'll talk about the garden in a minute. Um, just one last sort of on the court question. Who was the toughest person to play against in the East or in college basketball during your time? And uh, how'd you beat them? Well, I probably didn't beat them every, every time. Uh, man, you know what? It, I don't know if it was one particular person. It was so many, but I remember playing against those UConn guys, um, you know, Marcus Williams and Rudy Gay, AJ Price, um, Thabit, Jeff Adrian, like all those guys. It was They had some talented guys, but they were physical. And, and like we just talked about, they like to take, talk trash right with me, you know. And um, and really that whole Big East back then, you know, that Big East was, was the Big East. You know, right when I got in my freshman year, um, it, it was the time when they ended up adding on more teams. So, um, we had incredible depth in that conference. Um, so I would say UConn and, and all those guys, those those were those moments were tough, and they were some some of my favorite. So let's go to the UConn game. Uh, I'll tell you my story because uh, everybody has a story about that game. I was actually studying to be a rabbi in New York, and to be honest, there's only one day a year studying for rabbi, or four days a year, that I would uh, skip rabbinical school, and it was the Big East tournament where you guys came down to the garden. I just told him I had a bar mitzvah or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> then I was seeing the on ESPN, like, you know, down by the band and everything. Um, but that game, if you remember, was a, a doubleheader. It was night. You guys didn't start like after nine o'clock. And uh, my wife, then my girlfriend at the time, 
uh, said she'll come to the game with me. So nine o'clock, ten o'clock, halftime, end of regulation, one OT, two OT. After three OT, she said she needed to go home. I said, "This is it. Like, if I leave these doors, they're not letting me back in the garden." <laughs> so she took a cab home by herself to the Upper West Side. She was so mad at me after <laughs> when her dad said. Uh, you were at that game when you left after three OT. You go apologize to me, and then we got married. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I actually want to show some uh, sh show something to the audience here and just have you dissect this in real time in just one moment because you know what I'm going to show right here. Uh, one second, probably the most famous shot that it. But we'll just watch first and then we'll discuss. Here we go. <laughs> Try to deflect that pass or just make it to where they got to anchor. Bob Watch so as we know, they kept it, and it was no good. What was that all about? Was that play for you? Walk us through that. Um, I don't know if it was specifically for me. We were just trying to get it. it Paul threw an unbelievable pass, and it, and it bounced right to me, um, you know, perfectly. Got it off in time, um, and it, it went through, and I didn't even think, you know, about it twice. You know, I turned around, and... Um, that's the first thing I saw was the scores table, and and obviously I thought it counted at the time, else I wouldn't have jumped up there. And um, it was just all emotion, you know, the stuff we were talking about: emotion, competitiveness, compassion, love for the game. Um, you know, Syracuse, UConn, Madison Square Garden, Big East tournament, ESPN. I mean, what else do you want for college basketball? That's those we covered all the bases right there, and to be able to have that moment in the garden was was special. And then to end up winning the game six OTs later. Um, you know, it was just, you know, icing on top. Okay. When did you realize that you might be eating breakfast in the garden as opposed to going to sleep? Exactly. It was uh, the next day we, we come and play West Virginia in overtime. Wow. Now, obviously, that's the biggest stage in college basketball. It's the Mecca of college basketball, Madison Square Garden. You're finished with Syracuse. There's no more 35,000 people shouting your name. You begin your professional career. And one of those places that you end up going to it's actually very special to us as a Jewish people. It's the land of Israel. Land of Israel, not usually known for basketball, usually known for Jerusalem, for holy sites, for Jews and Christians and Muslims. You go there. First, tell me what you knew about Israel before you landed at Ben-Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv. What did, what did you know about this place? I didn't know a lot. You know, I was, you know, I knew it was beautiful. Um, and, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some friends who played over there before. And so they kind of gave me, gave me a heads up of like, hey man, this is a cool place. Um, but when I got there, when I landed in Tel Aviv, it was um, it was unbelievable, man. It was beautiful. You know, obviously the ride through where I was going, I was in the Fula, it was, it was desert. Um, it was hot, nice weather. Um, but when I, you know, when I got to a Fula and I got to, uh, you know, get around a little bit and experience some, some places like Haifa and, and Tel Aviv, it was unbelievable, man. The people were awesome. The food was awesome. Um, the basketball experience was awesome. Like they have a good league over there. It's it's up and down. It's some talented guys. They're 
they're starting to put out a lot more people than than you would know. Um, but my overall experience was great, man. I, you know, I got hurt early, so I had to leave. But, you know, I wish I could have stayed there and, and ended up playing two, three, four years because it was a, a beautiful place. I actually went to Nazareth as well. And then when we went up on the cliff where they said uh, Jesus jumped off and then, you know, walked down the river right there. So it was it was cool, man, just experiencing all that stuff, um, you know, all that history. Um, you know, it was pretty unbelievable. It's actually an amazing experience to hear, you know, somebody who goes there for basketball and talk about the religious experiences that they had. Um, so you go to Israel, you go to New Zealand, now you come back to central New York, you dabble with the TBT. Tell us a little bit about that and how that connects you to the community. Uh, the basketball tournament, obviously trying to win a couple million dollars for Syracuse alumni. What's that about? Well, I mean, you know how Syracuse is. I mean, they treat the TBT like it's the Syracuse basketball season, you know, and, and I've been fortunate to play the last, I think, five, six years. Um, you know, I was on the, the first team ever and, um, you know, continued on. Kevin Belby has done a great job every single summer putting the team together, and he's the one who kind of reeled me in um, to begin with. Um, and like I said, it's been unbelievable. You know, every single year it gets better. The CBT does an incredible job. Um, you know, we usually, wherever we go, it's usually all orange. You know, Syracuse fans travel, whether it's, you know, Atlanta, we, we played in Brooklyn, and obviously, you know, we played back home in Syracuse. But just for those couple weeks, getting back with all the former guys, maybe you played with them, maybe you watched them play um, growing up, it's it's kind of a surreal experience. It's awesome. Like, you know, for, for example, I play with – Hakeem Warwick and you know I watched him that 2003 you know game at Michigan State that made me commit to Syracuse so to be able to have that experience to get on the court and, and compete with them unbelievable man and um, like I said TBT has done a great job it's it's gotten bigger every year and uh, it means so much to the Syracuse community to be able to have that basketball in the summer you know uh, obviously you know having having uh those Syracuse guys who are on the team right now be at the game Coach Bayheim be at the game. It just shows, you know, what type of community Syracuse is and how it ties us together. So you're no longer on the big stage, right? You're not at the Garden. You're not in Israel. If you wish you're on the little stage in terms of not in the news every day, now you're on a rabbi's podcast and everything ever be on that, right? <laughs> but, but you're doing big things, right? Even perhaps bigger than putting a ball in the hoop. Tell us how you got into, number one, the clinics with the kids. And then we'll go on to the community activism in terms of literally saving businesses and therefore lives during the pandemic. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, I wanted to, I love basketball. I wanted to, you know, teach through the game. And that's kind of where ED23 Hoop started. And, you know, I was doing camps and clinics, individual workouts, groups, um, you know, a lot before the obviously before the pandemic. And, um, you know, even during the pandemic, I was doing Zooms and uh, ball handling and footwork drills. And it's just me you know, sharing my love for the game and, and sharing all the knowledge that I've experienced and, and learned and gained through these years. I mean, I've, you know, Coach Bayheim, you know, Coach Steve Smith, like those two coaches are two of the best coaches in, in the history of basketball. So um, I'd be selfish if I didn't share that knowledge and pass it on, you know, to these younger, to this younger generation and, and just kind of how to move. If you really want to be a basketball player, I, I can tell you the steps it takes because I've been there and I've experienced it I've at a high level. So um it's something that i'm supposed to do and it's i have a passion for basketball and giving back and um you know as far as the small business goes it, it felt right you know during these times it's tough for everyone especially small business you know i know how much syracuse has done for me um you know it's the least i could do is try to give back and you know whether it be the small business or you know hat giveaway shoe gave whatever it is i want to be able to try to 
um, you know, give back as, as, as little or as much as I can. So um, take us through some of that. Um, give us a couple of businesses that you have helped and how that's helped them literally get day to day. What's that look like? Yeah, so we recently just handed out um, close to $80,000 to 18 different businesses. And, um, you know, a few of the businesses were some staples. You know, Westcott Street, obviously, is big for diners, um, mother's or mom's diner. And then we did Munjed's Mediterranean right next door. We did Mother's Cupboard. Um, you know, so that was just a few most most museum downtown, New York style diner. Um, and, and we just tried to break that money up, you know, based on each business's individual need. And, um, you know, they were everyone was grateful. Everyone was thankful, you know, just for the help. And um, the community rallied around like they always do. You know, every time I put something out there, um, the community comes around and, um, you know, carries it. It's, it's just me. I'm sparking the idea, but they're really finishing it. They're really just making it happen. And it's been beautiful to see everything come together. And um, I'm just happy that, you know, I could spark the idea and, and bring it together because we all need it. We all need help right now. And we all need to come together and, and try to make stuff happen for each other. No, that's amazing. You said it's just you, but it's not just you. And I love how you say you're the spark because uh, often in the dark world, that's exactly what we need for some light. We just need a small spark that will get it going. Um, you actually had a quote on Twitter. Uh, I don't know when it was, maybe a couple of weeks ago. You said, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Challenge yourself. It's about progress, right? Don't be afraid to make mistakes. Challenge yourself. It's about progress. Um, since you left the college basketball, professional basketball world, what mistakes have you made that you've learned that have challenged you, but now have also led to great progress, not just with you, but also uh, in the communities that you're living in? I think the biggest thing is for me is knowing that you're going to make mistakes, especially if it's something new. You know, I've been playing basketball my whole life. Now I'm in kind of the transition side of things. So it's it might be new to me. So I might make mistakes. But the biggest thing is don't let that discourage you um, from going out there and taking risks and trying new things. You know, you, you want to be able to um, learn from your mistakes and um, continue to get better. Um, but the biggest thing is take action. So many people have great ideas and, and they don't they just don't take that action towards them. You know, I think for me is I'm not the smartest guy in the world by any means, but I go out there and I try it and I and I take action. And, and then um, I think people kind of respond to that a lot of times because they can feel that energy, that that optimistic energy that you're really trying to do something. And, um, you know, not for just you, but for others, well-being as, as well. And um, that's something I tried to carry with me, um, you know, each project or, or each thing I, I do in the community. And, um, it's really went well for me. I know everybody's different, but for me, it's just, it was about taking action and, and not kind of listening to that voice sometimes in the back of your head that says, nah, I don't want, you can't do it or, or it's too risky, you know, let's, let's find out. And, and it's, you know what, it's for the better cause. It's for a good purpose. So I'm gonna go out there and, and, uh, see what can happen, see what can happen. Actually, I think what you just said is a message of faith, hearing that voice saying not that, you know, it's too risky, I can't, but it's too risky. And that's why I am going to try it. That's why I am going to, you know, challenge myself. And if it doesn't work, then I'll progress to something else. But if it does work, then I will be that spark for, uh, for somebody else as well. Uh, last question, uh, Syracuse prognosis for this coming year. Good game against Miami. Jesse Edwards in the middle. Kadari Richmond in the backcourt. Uh, if you were standing on the sidelines, uh, any changes you make right now, or uh, what do you think? It's been a tough season, man. It's just been awkward, and I think every mm -hmm. college team is kind of going through their ups and downs. And 
for the most part, I think we've handled it well. I mean, we've had two pauses. We've, you know, you heard coach talk about we've missed almost 30 practices. I mean, come on, think about that. That's unheard of. And then still try to have your rhythm and then compete at a high level against high level teams. That's real tough. So I think, you know, we, we've done a good job of really, um, you know, working with what we can do and, and what we have. And like you said, Kadari, unbelievable talent, man, as a freshman, super poised. I mean, you see him at the he, – he was the game changer when he came in. I mean, he doesn't have to score the ball, and that's rare as a freshman when you have an impact on the game when you're not scoring the ball. He's out there, you know, at the top of the zone getting deflections, getting steals. He's run the offense, getting guys in their spots to where they have opportunities to score. He's wise beyond his years, and um, I'm excited to see him when he, he gets a little bit more aggressive and, and selfish for himself, you know, because he has the talent to, to go and score as well. But uh, these guys, they got a good group. I mean, you know, obviously Joe and Buddy have to shoot the ball well, and then we need a presence in the middle. You know, Jesse, if he can do that consistently, it, it'll be a game changer until uh, Barama gets back. But you know, we just have to progress and keep getting better. And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to watching these guys grow as the season goes. Before one final question about faith that we actually talked about offline before the show, I just a uh, quick announcement. We'll be back next Thursday, 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 o'clock Eastern. We're actually going to be joined by Chelsea Hopkins, played at Duke, San Diego State, now an Israeli MVP. She'll be live from Bat Yam in Israel. So we'll trans, uh, transform the globe. Uh, upcoming guests, Dan Schulman, ESPN, Seth Greenberg, college basketball analyst, and Andy Katz, former ESPN analyst and Big Ten. So uh, we'll get to interview interviewers and hear what they thought about Eric Diebendorf from 2005 to 2009. Um, Eric, it's uh, great to have you with us. And you, you mentioned that you grew up in the Catholic faith. Um, one of the tattoos on your arm is a cross. I, I saw that over and over again during your playing days. Uh, maybe just a message of faith that you had growing up for us within different faith communities and how, if you wish, that power of sports and faith can come together. Well, yeah, so I, was, yeah. I, I grew up and, you know, I, like I told you off there, I wasn't consistently, um, you know, going to church. But my mom always, she always, uh, you know, talks about God, saying your prayers at night, uh, believing in yourself and having faith in yourself and, um, and, and you know, obviously in, in God, you know, in, in particular. But um, I think the biggest thing for me is I just grew up and I, and I learned and I've experienced a lot of different people, a lot of different faiths. It's just about being kind to one another being generous, being compassionate, being understanding, because everybody's different. But at the same time, um, I think we all just want to be happy, you know, so try to try to understand that as uh, as you go on your journey and, and other people experience theirs. It's um, believing in yourself, being kind to other and um, knowing that everybody at the end of the day just wants to be happy. Nice. Actually, you just quoted something that you don't know. You quoted from our tradition where it says the greatest commandment in our tradition is to be happy. In Hebrew, it's, uh, I don't know if you know the Hebrew. No, uh, mitzvah gedola liyot simcha. That, really, that is our that's our goal in life. Obviously, you do it through moral values. You do it through what makes you happy, and you do it through relationships and people. So, uh, Eric Dibdorf, I want to thank you for joining us here in Los Angeles um, within our Sinai Temple community, within the greater upstate New York community, within the greater sports community, and now within the faith community as well. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you in person, hopefully out here soon. And uh, good luck to you. And uh, thank you so much. Have a great day. Rabbi on the Absolutely. Thanks, man. Look forward to catching up.